0: Welcome to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I am your host, Perry, and with me in person this week for the first time since before the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, it's Swan, the bourbon finder. Swan, welcome to the new studio space in the same house. And there's cats. There is a cat literally sitting next to you who could not previously join us for episode recordings and it's beautiful. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about it. It's nice to have some studio animals who are chill and, you know, willing to allow you the creative space to make whatever it is that you please. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm all for it. Swan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. It's been
1: it's been good. I had a whole day off, told you my plans for today. Sleep, eat, sleep, eat. Mm-hmm. Just repeat that over
0: and over again. No. Yeah. It's been nice. Well, we just finished off the pre game chats. Uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast at the $5 tier. And uh, we had a couple of drinks over there just to get warmed up as we normally do. But we do start every episode out with flying blind. This is the first official flying blind that you have been able to enjoy in person. Oh, yes. With me in a while. Uh, I just passed a, a bottle over to Swan for him to get prepared.
1: Getting a little Lucy Swanee. <laughs>
0: That's got to be a shirt. (laughs) So, of course, the idea behind Flying Blind is that the other person on the other end of the microphone does not know what it is. It's a way for us to kind of hop into the episode. Swan, tell me what you think about the nose on this one. Ooh,
1: it's sweet. It is. It's very sweet.
0: It's
1: very sweet. I'm a fan of it. There's not much ethanol at all. It's mm-hmm. literally just sweetness.
0: There's like a like a jam note
1: yeah, it's on the not, nose, too. It's not like a caramely, Mm-mm. like sugary sweetness. It's more like a almost like a marmalade. I don't know. I like this.
0: It is it is I would say muted, but enjoyable. Yeah. Like it's a pleasant invitation to sip on so absolutely and i would like for us to sip on it Ooh. so the sweetness
1: kind of went away on the palate
0: it starts getting more savory mm-hmm. little bit of spice to it but the thing that i really notice about this one is that it starts getting into these kind of baked bread notes yeah. It starts going from from sweet to almost kind of not really decadent. But just I, I think baked is probably the best way to to describe that.
1: I'm trying to compare it to something. I don't know. It oh. starts to get real in that lane of like blackened barbecue and then switches immediately into like just yeast bread rolls yeah
0: yeah and and i almost get as i was kind of saying with the nose like a jam like a blackberry jam on on toast as it kind of leads into the finish there's not really a whole lot of of heat or hug or anything on the finish but it is enjoyable at the very least absolutely one of the great things about recording in the same space at the same time, too, is when my wife brings us snacks. That's that's a new thing. Dude, I enjoy so. it. <laughs> She's done it before. Oh, we've yeah, had like popcorn, it, chicken, and it's been wooden. a while, man. It but, has been. Yeah, oof. that's the thing. You you forget about these things Who's until. <laughs> but she brought some spring rolls out for us. Yes. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you think? Tell me what you think about this. Give me your general assertions. Proof, maybe Mash Bill. age. Something like that.
1: Mm, I'm going to go that it's
0: probably like 95 ish
1: proof. It's kind of reminded me of a muted Jack Daniels single barrel. Interesting. I don't know. It's strange. Like I'm getting some Brown Foreman or something on it, but it doesn't seem like it's Buffalo Trace or Turkey or Jim Beam necessarily. There's not like a nuttiness to it. Yeah. And I get with
0: Beam. Is that me? <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> I don't think it was me. I don't know where that came from. That was very bizarre. <laughs> so you said 95 proof, but not really sure. Um, distillery. Distillery? Yeah, I'm lost. Well, I can understand why you would be confused. Uh, this is the Hotel Tango Reserve Bourbon, the weeded oh. six year old product. Gotcha. At 90 proof. I it's really good man
1: (laughs) it is good i was actually wondering i was like is it a weeder i'm not getting a ton of rye but i'm also not not getting rye yeah it's
0: like i don't know it's the it's the mid-palate spice that kind of confuses you
1: yeah oh wait hold on they do have something going on with like their barrels because i can tell that like it, it has like a very signature spice that some of the other ones have had
0: I love their uh, their website description: a well balanced, dignified, weeded bourbon, refined sweetness. What Chesty would drink? Do you know who Chesty is? Mm-mm. He's a World War II hero, Chesty Puller. Oh, okay. Go look him up sometime. He, he, there, there's a great episode of Do Go On uh, that they did about him too. I'll, I'll probably link it in the in the description below. The directions for it as well are: serve with heightened expectations.
1: Uh, it meets them. <laughs> it meets them. And I, I think, honestly, it's probably a great segue into some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Because their products are very appropriately priced where they're at. And this one, you look at it on their shelf, and you're like, oh, man, it's almost double their regular bourbon. I don't know if I want to pay that. And even myself, I've been kind of apprehensive on picking it up. I don't know what I was thinking, man. But the,
0: the, And and you have to look at the difference between the age between the two.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the fact that this is weeded as opposed to the rye bourbon. Yeah.
0: And it's also literally three times as old yeah, as the rye bourbon is.
1: It's impressive, man.
0: I've yeah. yet to have something
1: from theirs that is not impressive.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I want to... We were talking about it last week, I think, as well, that we would like to get into more of their products, whether it's their their gin or even their vodka, or, you know, some some more of their mixers even as well. I think that it would be a really... Cool thing to do, where just kind of go through their entire vertical, not just of their whiskeys, mm-hmm. uh, but for the other pro- products that they offer.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when Lucy's able to drink again, and you guys have the time, yes, make some make some cocktails with their <laughs> stuff, man. If you follow their Instagram page, they are putting out some of the best looking cocktails on my Instagram feed.
0: You you got the what was it the orange cello orange cello yeah yeah I tried it recently i think i stopped over at your house to drop samples off or something and you were like you got to try this and it's surprisingly good yeah it is yeah they've got a cherry liqueur i'm also
1: wanting to try because i feel like that would blend into a lot of cocktails it's dark man it's very very dark stuff hmm i don't know i i can't
0: <laughs> i don't know is the right answer to that i feel I like
1: i mean none of these things i go to the liquor store looking for and then i see it on the shelf and i'm like well i did like the bourbon <laughs> <once> <laughs> home with me, and i buy it and i'm just like when am i ever gonna drink this i don't, I don't really want this why did i buy this and then i try it and
0: i'm like
2: oh, no one needs want this. to know this is my favorite thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> everybody gots to know anyway uh, that was Flying Blind. couple of things up top before we get into the main episode. First and foremost, I wanted to give a special thank you to uh, one of my tips and bits last week, the Tell Me I'm Wrong podcast out of here in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, our buddies over there, Josh, Joe, and Ryan, uh, gave us a shout out on social media uh, for giving them a shout out on uh, on our podcast, do and they want to drink some bourbon? Yeah, we uh, we're talking about doing a big collaboration with them sometime, and uh, maybe you know hopping on their show and being moderators for a debate. And I think it would be fun to have them show up on on our pod as well, and you know share some drinks out here in the garage studio. Absolutely, with the, with the cats. Berlioz wants to wants to be a part of the. The show, no. So anyway, if you guys have not checked them out, uh, definitely go look up. Tell me I'm wrong. You can also find them at social media at T W I. No wait, T M I W Pod uh, all over the place. So thank you guys so much again uh, for for chatting with us we got some really cool things in the works with them here soon also if you have not done so yet please consider leaving us a rating and a review on the itunes podcast app it helps us so much to get new listeners we show up in the uh, the search function on the podcast app uh, more regularly especially if they're searching just for bourbon podcasts Uh, and so it becomes a very active thing you guys uh, are very much a part of the listening and podcast experience that is offered here through Timbip. And, uh, we appreciate everybody who has done that already. And we have one, uh, later on to read out for you guys. And we'll do that for you. If you do, in fact, leave us a review in that app or anywhere. I, I can, I've found out recently that I can pull up reviews from anywhere across the world. Uh, so it doesn't have to just be in the, in the i S I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find you. We will find you. <laughs> Swan, so also, since it's been a while since I've seen you, I have to ask you, what have you been drinking recently?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough question.
0: <laughs> and have you had it in New Orleans?
2: No.
1: Uh Knob Creek, <laughs> non-age stated. Knob Creek, non-age stated. Knob Creek, non-age stated. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I had about bought a pint for our episode because I wanted just a oh, airplane yeah, bottle. Right. And I killed half a pint like two <laughs> days ago. Just whole thing's gone. And I remembered that it's just so good. Like, I'm going to have to go out and find probably a 175 of it because I know that's just kind of what's sitting on the shelf right yep. now for that uh, and and buy it. I mean, it's I don't want it to leave. Not that the new stuff isn't phenomenal, but it's just want the variety. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I have actually been drinking through a few things <laughs> this past week. One of them I just uh, pulled down. That we can try. I don't know if you've ever had this before. No.
1: Can I have some of that?
0: Absolutely. I would love to have some with you. I tried that for the first time ever last night. And it's really not often that I have things that I've never had before. Period. And it's the Isaac Bowman um, Port Finished, I believe. Yeah, Port Barrel Finished. Yeah. So for those who don't know, this is actually sourced bourbon from Buffalo Trace. Mm, okay. And if I remember correctly, and I know that if I'm wrong, I'll get tweets, but this is the same mash bill and basically the same bourbon as Blanton's.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. So
0: this is basically a finished version of Blanton's.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing somebody go nuts over one of those. I think they had a barrel proof release that came out uh Ooh and it was like one forty. It was up there. Wow. And it was like a hazmat version, uh, and everyone went nuts for it. I
0: would very much like to try that sometime. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Bourbon that hurts me, sign me up. I am totally down for that. I opened a bottle as well of Elijah Craig rye last night. Uh, I had some with, of that as well. With Papa Ritter. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. I, I also opened over the weekend the Rare Breed rye. Uh, with Dustin. Dustin and Misty came down to see us this weekend for the first time since we found out we were pregnant. I got in the mail, I haven't tried it yet, but a sample of the Old Fitz Bottom and Bond 9-Year, which is the spring release from Heaven Hill. Mm, okay. And so I'm probably going to be doing that on this week's live stream, uh, if you guys want to check that out. You can do it at youtube.com slash podcast. I do live streams every Thursday night. I've kind of... Failed to <laughs> mention that too much on the show, but yeah. uh eight thirty PM American Eastern Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Or daylight. I don't know what we're in. Doesn't matter. Um also wanted to follow up from last week. Uh Bill or uh, Beer Lovers Wisconsin also sent me a beer to drink and I told him I would have it before we recorded this week's episode. And I did just that. It is a Central Waters Brewing Company stout. Uh, it is aged in bourbon barrels. And again, it was fantastic. It was like a... Almost like if root beer were also a beer. Oh, okay. But with more to it, <laughs> it was really thick and viscous. I mean, it had an incredible palate to it. And I was... I was blown away. This was apparently a 2016 release, so it's actually been aging in the barrel or in the bottle, rather. That's been hanging bit. out for a minute. So, uh and that is something that normally happens with with stouts. Uh they actually kind of go through a, a secondary aging process in the in the bottle nice. before you try that. Uh anybody who drinks uh the the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout? Oh yeah. They, yeah,
1: they even did like so yeah, a three-pack too. sampler, 17, 18, and 19 last yeah. year to yeah, kind of let you one. see that
0: aging process. <laughs> I've got, I've got one. It's not out here at the moment. I'll bring it out here eventually, but I do, I do have one. I, I, I've also got all the uh, like two of the limited releases from last year's too. Mm-hmm. Like the one that was aged in larceny barrels, and uh, there was another one too. I can't, I can't remember what it was. But you put out some good stuff, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. Anyway, Swan, we have got a multitude of news items to get into uh, before we get into our main topic, which is uh, I think we've been teasing it basically for the past couple of weeks. Uh, the the trouble with valuing bourbon, or evaluating bourbon, putting a value on whiskey. There you go. There we go. Yeah, figured it out. So we are catching up on a little bit of news because we did kind of take the week off last week uh, as we were. Doing what we are now going to call, I would say, our week off from the news, and we're we're gonna try to do that regularly, maybe every fourth episode, where we take a break, drink a little bit more, have a little bit more fun, get a little bit looser. Uh, But this week we are back to the news, and uh, like I said, we're catching up a little bit, and in this case, we want to talk about a story that came out a couple of weeks ago from Mictors, who sold a barrel at Auction for over two hundred thousand U.S. dollars, which wild. Is, it's a record for a single barrel of bourbon. Holy crap! Good for them, <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's just... good for them indeed. Um, but that's just a lot of money. Um, <laughs> uh, it goes towards COVID nineteen relief, of course. Uh, the fifty best for recovery uh, organization. Uh, and this was organized by William Reed, the parent company of the world's fifty best restaurants and the world's fifty best bars. Um, this is insane. This is the first ever private barrel selection bottling uh, of Michter's ten-year uh, straight bourbon whiskey, and it's just bonk. I, I mean, honestly, this is a crazy amount of money for one single barrel.
1: It is. Are they going to be bottling at the same proof they normally do, or?
0: Honestly, I don't know. I don't even know if this is going to be released to the public.
1: I mean, if it's not, I mean, you could just throw a tap on the side of it at your house.
0: And <laughs> pour out what you want, man. I would totally do that. I got to say, though, first off, it's a lot of money for one barrel of bourbon, mm-hmm. regardless of quality. Um, but the fact that anybody was willing to put forth... That money towards helping the, the folks in the um, the culinary world during this time. Absolutely incredible. I mean, well done to to them for putting forth such an, a, a large amount of money. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've even heard of people uh, recently, while COVID has been going on and bars were completely closed. Uh, in some places, they're just, you know, taking however many drinks they take and, you know, tipping, even if it's at home, and then taking that to a bartender. When it finally did open back up, which is, is great. This is just like that on steroids. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, so there, there's going to be a couple different ways that uh, the proceeds are going to be uh, dispersed to those who are going to benefit from it. Uh, there's going to be direct grants of up to $5,000 uh, to independent restaurants and bars, as well as donations to nonprofit organizations focused on the hospitality sector. By the way, I wanted to thank um, PRNewsWire.com. Uh, for all of the information that was uh, provided to us for this little section, very cool. Always love hearing uh, success stories like this, uh, especially to benefit other people. The Bardstown Bourbon Company is reopening the bottle in bottle and bond kitchen, rather uh, with a brand new name. Uh, it has actually been reopened. This past week, it is now called the Kitchen and Bar at Bardstown Bourbon Company. Um, it's going to be limited, of course, to fifty percent capacity uh, with socially distanced tables, uh, and uh, they—they they're, seem like they're really excited about it. I'm personally very excited about it, of course. Uh, I've always felt like the Bardstown Bourbon Company offered some of the best food and drink options on the Bourbon Trail. Period. Yeah. Uh, and in Bardstown, especially.
1: Yeah, and just reading through, they kind of list some of the items they're going to have on there. We just ate, so I can actually read these without getting hungry. (laughs) Uh, Highlights include country hams with bourbon grains, Kentucky poutine with white cheddar cheese curds. I'm going to stop there. I mean, that's... (laughs) there's a whole listing of stuff if you're driving your car right now i don't want you to get hungry and pull over <laughs> even though wendy sounds fantastic just go ahead and pull the drive through there but uh still i mean it's hard to be mad if they're going to change the name and still serve great great food i'm all for it
0: i'm here for it too i you know even if it's just like a classic burger just a regular burger that you can get you know, Bardstown Bourbon Company is going to go above and beyond with it.
1: Oh, and they're going to put their spin mm-hmm. on it, which is definitely mm-hmm. going to be like the Kentucky stamp of approval.
0: Absolutely. So, I, I'm looking forward to getting back out to Bardstown. Maybe here soon. Who's to say? I, w- I would like to, you know, make the trip up. I haven't been to a distillery in many moons <laughs> since before shutdown. I think it wasn't. it's it's not been since February, probably. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. Now, this isn't necessarily bourbon news, but it is whiskey news, and I think it does kind of pertain to what we have been talking about recently with uh, sustainability, especially in regards to Diageo. They are going to be launching a Johnny Walker in paper bottles next year. Interesting. I don't particularly know how I feel about this.
1: I don't know. I feel like if it's going towards something you're going to drink quickly, I wouldn't be too worried. But if you're going to have like a bottle that's going to be sitting in your cabinet for maybe 15 years, mm-hmm. I'd be a little scared. Like my mom, she has a thing of Crown Royal that's probably been in there for like six or seven years now because she goes in, she takes one cap full and puts it in an entire two liter of Sprite and she's like, "Woo, getting wild tonight. <laughs> and that's like once every four or five months. Sure.
0: So, I mean, I, I just hope it holds up. That's what I think too, and... I I don't know the exact kind of construction of the bottle, if it's got like a plastic lining on the inside, which would kind of seem to defeat the purpose of combating uh, plastic waste. Um, But I can't imagine that the paper is going to hold up long enough uh, to actually maintain the... I wonder if there's like a proof point that
1: they fall apart at. Like if they're cool I'm up sh- until a certain point,
0: I'm sure there is, but i I think that you know Johnny Walker is eighty proof i could be i could be wrong on that let's let's look it up.
1: It does say that Johnny Walker scotch whiskey will be available in plastic free bottles from early twenty twenty one plastic free hmm. that's gonna be interesting,
0: yeah, it is eighty proof gotcha. Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd go dump some cash strength in there. I think that
2: might uh,
0: shock a little. Yeah, I don't think that that would hold up too well. But re- regardless, I think that there is something to be admired about this. I yeah. mean, if we've been talking about the sustainability efforts from Diageo that are about to hit the whiskey market, this is another big... Big component of that, I think that they're, you know, not just talking the talk; they're definitely walking the walk, uh, regardless of whether it's an American whiskey brand or an international one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there are some numbers to to kind of back up uh, what they they are doing with this. This is coming from Moneycontrol.com, by the way. Uh, they say in Europe, for example, 8.2 million tons of plastic were used to package food and drink in 2018. Uh, and Diageo uses less than 5% of plastic in its total packaging but along with Unilever and PepsiCo has set targets to reduce and recycle plastic in their in their packaging as part of the United States Sustainable Development Goals program by 2025. That's pretty incredible. That is nice. So they they are actually working towards something that I feel like is is definitely sustainable. They're going to be able to, to do something that has some kind of impact. And again, as we were saying, I think that this is going to be setting the standard for those who are looking to be industry leaders leaders in sustainability uh, and being more eco-friendly as well. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, seeing how that's going to <clears throat> change the game. Speaking of bottles, Yellowstone oh, so Yellowstone LE is getting a new bottle. I love this packaging. I do too.
1: It's even down to the the bottle itself is very unique. Mm-hmm. Like they did an embossing on the Yellowstone there. They uh, they they finally made it a little easier to see on the packaging that this is a yearly release. Yes, because if you put three of the old ones side by side and had them all in the liquor store at the same time. You'd have to hand me the bottles before I could figure out what was different
0: with them. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking at the the, the proof or the price or something like that, I mean, that's going to be a good indication. But that really takes some, you know, something a little bit more eagle-eyed. Uh, but in this case, it's sitting right on the neck of the of the bottle for you. Uh, so this product is going to be seven years old, and it's going to be finished in Armagnac casks. Yep at 101 proof super super excited about this oh my gosh you're gonna spring for it this year i might if i can allocate the funds for it mm-hmm. yes uh because as i've been saying i would like to make sure that i i, I can hold on to enough money for the old forest birthday bourbon
1: understandable i
0: need i need it I <laughs> needs
1: it needs to stand that's, in line for it and,
0: <laughs> and that's gonna that's gonna be a requirement this year uh, but, you know, I, I always am a fan of the Limestone Yellowstone Ellie's. And there was that one uh, Yellowstone single barrel from Liquor Barn that we loved so much. You, you got to try it, right? I did, yeah. It was really uh, unique, honestly. I was not expecting that. Yeah, especially for a four-year-old bourbon. Uh, Mm. speaking about things that you didn't expect how do you feel about we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet this isaac bowman uh port finished i like it it's kind of hard to distinguish that it's really port finished it is but it does have a dry quality to it Mm. that would be you know associated with a with a wine a red wine a dark wine i could see that I get more of anything on the nose,
1: just a kind of a sweeter yeah. note there. But the, it's not much on the palate. I do like it, though.
0: I do, too. And it's, you know, when I opened this last night with my dad, I was saying it's been a long time since I've had anything that is finished. I mean, really, I just don't drink finished products all that much anymore. Uh, and when I do, it's kind of in passing, or I just don't really think about it <laughs> too much. Uh, and this is one of those times where I was very much conscious of what i was drinking yeah you know more aware of it um but i i like it and and speaking of finished i really want to try a bourbon finished and armagnac casks
1: it's gonna be interesting i so. mean you even brought it up in in our pregame
0: chats yeah something you're interested in making yourself oh i would love to i'd love to be a whiskey maker it'd be a nice job I. Think, it too. would be interesting and and fun for sure so that kind of leads us into the releases uh, of the week uh, and those that we can expect here in the near future. Uh, this is coming from whiskeyadvocate.com as it normally does. This Armagnac cask finished bourbon from Yellowstone is going to be $100, 101 proof, seven years old, coming out in September, 2020, and is going to be limited to 15,000 bottles. Really, honestly, that's not that much. No. I mean, that that seems to be down from what it has been in the past few years. That yeah. being said, I, I I still see the past year or so every now and then out in the wild.
1: They do tend to hang around. Like yeah, they do. At one point last year, uh, or well, two years ago, when I was still working at, at uh, the Kroger in Frankfurt, we had two releases of
0: Yellowstone on the shelf. Two it, at the same time, really? Two at the same time, yeah. Wow.
1: So I, they, they do hang around for a little bit.
0: Hmm. That is really interesting. This next one comes from Frey Ranch. Never heard of it. Never heard of them either. But it's a bottled and bond straight rye. I'm interested in this one. <clears throat> I am too. It's actually from
1: Nevada. So, I the thing that's getting me about this is like so you've heard about deserts, the way that they tend to like get super super hot during the day. It's a dry heat. Super cold at night. Yeah, it's a dry heat. Yeah, I mean just like the. Just that variation, I think, would be fun with with this. And four yeah. years old at that. Like I've seen Texas whiskeys that at two years are like darker than anything that we can get here in twelve. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see what this is going to be like.
0: <clears throat> so this is going to be a Nevada only release. Four years old, of course, sixty dollars a bottle. Going to be available this month. I uh, I I would like to try this. I very much would like to. I agree with you. I don't know what the age and climate would be like. Uh, in in a dry heat, out in the out in the west end of the U.S.
1: The description of the flavoring is not uh, not catering to me. Oak forward profile and flavors of dark fruit, tea leaves, and spice. Yeah,
0: that's not you at all. It's
1: not me at all. But
0: <laughs> still, would love to try it. I would like to know. I'm also curious what the mash bill on this one is. Can I add something that we don't have on here? Yeah, of
1: course. So uh, everyone's been clamoring for completing their Weller collection. And one of the ones that's been the hardest to find is CYPB. Yes. They're doing another release of it this year. Shocker. They are.
0: They are the third release of CYPB. Yes. So
1: they're going to have another release of that. Um, So you you might see it in a raffle near you. I'm not going (laughs) to say that you're going to be able to find it.
0: Do you think that CYPB has gotten to the point where people don't care as much?
1: I feel like that they have made it so exclusive, no one's interested in actually drinking it. Yeah. They're only interested in having it so that they can take a picture of it with all their other other Weller line and put it on social media and go, aha, I got them all. <laughs> and then Buffalo Trace, eight months later, is just like, haha." No, you don't. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> that seems to be the running joke.
0: <laughs> thanks thanks for the joke on us, Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Thanks. It's hilarious. No, I, I, I think that... Um, I still find it desirable to a degree. I would still, of course, like to own a bottle...
1: I'm not saying I wouldn't buy it on site if I found it at retail. I'm just saying the likelihood of me going store to store for, you know, a month straight saying, what's the chance you got this on the (laughs) shelf somewhere?
0: It's not high. When was the last time you went into a store, though, and said, hey, you got any Weller?
1: I don't. I mean, now I just know when the truck kind of is yeah, supposed to ish be there, and I go in, and if it's not anywhere to be seen behind the counter or yeah. over the counter, I just don't even ask anymore. It,
0: it's been a long time since I've been like, man, do you have any... You got any weller in the back? Yeah. Like, just what's the point anymore? You know? Eh, there is there is none, Yeah. I feel like. So, I don't know. I, I would... I would like to try these past three releases as a vertical. That would be nice. I would be curious if there's been any discernible change between the three.
1: Yeah. I mean, so is it, I don't know if they've released this or not. They've not said if it's going to change at all. Like if they take the surveys again and then they decided, Oh, well everybody wanted a nine year this time. Yeah. I don't know. But as far as I know, it's still what eight years, 95 proof as far as I know. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know. I tell you. I'll just go find the twelve-year once a year and be happy.
0: Maybe. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) If you're if you're slightly lucky. What about finding this uh, TTB label from Barrel, the Barrel Whiskey Private Release, uh, which is a Kentucky whiskey finished in Riesling barrel or a Riesling barrel, actually. Hmm. Uh, It's going to be eighteen years old. This is wow. The oldest finished bourbon I think I've ever seen. I uh, at 120 proof.
2: I, I don't
1: know. I mean, I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never had Riesling.
0: I don't think I have either. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> for know for that matter.
1: I really don't know what to expect. <laughs> sure, I'll try it. I, I'm
0: fine. Sure. With that. I, I will say, I, I haven't talked about this yet, but next week we are actually going to have Trip from Barrel Craft Spirits on the show. Nice. Got an interview coming up with him uh, the day that this episode comes out. And we're going to be tasting some of these private uh, private releases. Uh, so that episode, that interview is going to be coming out next week. So you guys stay tuned for that. We'll probably get into a little bit uh, of some of the the most recent private releases as well, including uh, the, the label for this barrel whiskey finished in Riesling.
1: There's something I'd be really interested in kind of asking him about. And it would just be, what, how how do you do your barrel selection program? Sure. Because it seems like those just pop up in the random spots. Yeah. Like, I'll see them in a Kroger. The other day I went into Kroger, and I was like, they have one of these in the pennies-over-cost shelf. What <laughs> on earth? And then I go to other stores, and he's like, yeah, I get it in. It's just off-shelves immediately. And it's just, I don't know how, how they do it. I mean, I don't, it seems like the picks are just so... It's not like Knob Creek where you're. it's like, oh, well, you know, some of them are different. Some right. of them are good. Some right. of them are better than others. But it seems like they're vastly different. Like some of them are just completely left field and some of them are like the best thing you've ever had.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I and, you know, we'll talk about it off air. But if you can come by and, you know, might you have c- to you could. Yeah, you could totally sit in.
1: Might have to. Yeah.
0: I'd be all about that. How about this next one, Swan? Speaking of things that we're never going to be able to find anywhere.
1: This is the only OFC that I've been
0: interested in getting at all. Because it's your birth year. It's my birth <laughs> year. That's it. So this is the new Buffalo Trace OFC from 95. I, And that's really about it. 90 proof. <laughs> I love that they put
1: what they do on the back. Have you read this yet? I do.
0: Yeah, I, I did read that. Here's
1: 1995. Television audiences tune in to watch Seinfeld, Friends, and ER. So, they just put like a whole what was going on this year. Yeah. Also, same year that the DVD was invented. Fun fact. Really? Yeah. I so did not know that. We started ditching our tapes and going to DVD, even though I'm pretty sure most people didn't have a DVD player. I was going like to say. I, d-
0: I didn't think that DVDs really became a thing until The Matrix.
1: No, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a while. It was a while.
0: I never see these never. I think the only time I've I've seen these these bottles twice at Buffalo Trace in the vault mm-hmm. and at OBC. <laughs>
2: yeah. That
0: sounds about right. Other otherwise, I mean, I'm not hopping into a store and yeah. by chance seeing a bottle of OFC.
1: I've seen one for sale ever and it was marked up so extremely that it's just not even worth considering. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean it was they it was a collector's price. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, they they knew what they had. They also had like some old wild turkey releases and like the nice boxes, the big fourteen year. Oh yeah. They had, yeah, they had a bunch. But I mean, at that point, you're looking at somebody's museum. You're not in a liquor store. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't even. It's not even a consideration.
0: I of course, it would be a dream <laughs> to get to try that and even just own a bottle of it. But yeah. Mm-mm. I'll set
1: up for the box. The box is cool.
0: Ah, oh, heck yeah, man! I've become a sucker for packaging recently. Mm-hmm. Just kind of as a display piece. You looked up at my my cabinet behind me and the the Turkey Decades box that's sitting up there. Yeah, I love I love that box. I really do. So our main topic of conversation for the week, and I, this has been something that has kind of been at the forefront of our minds recently, especially when. We're talking about Booker's, which recently jumped $20 in MSRP did. from 70 to 90 And this is something that has not been uncommon with, with Booker's in, in the past few years. It's definitely not something that has been uncommon in the general product realm for bourbons. But in this case, people are getting up in arms. They are. And I think that it's worth our time to step back and kind of look at it and go, "What does value mean with bourbon, and why do we get so so worked up about it?" So I, when when we do things like this, I really like to start just at the base level and go, "What does value mean?" So Webster, mm-hmm. <laughs> good find, great guy. Yeah, he's a good he's a good dude. Yeah, I I think maybe, don't quote me on that. Allegedly, he's good. I don't know. Uh, defines value uh, as the monetary worth of something, market price, a fair return or equivalent in goods, services, or money for something exchanged, which I feel like uh, could be definitely appropriated in in this instance, uh, or to consider or rate highly or to estimate or assign the monetary worth of something. So if we look at that, when we talk about at bourbon, I think at the base level, value can be very subjective. I think that when you you look at it, so so let's let's think in a broader spectrum you've got a a startup distillery they've got 20 people on hand on their full capacity day Mm -hmm. they're producing two gallons well okay let's say two barrels of bourbon a week right Mm -hmm. um per barrel it winds up costing them about two thousand dollars so not only are they paying for the the grains, they're paying for the electricity, they're paying for the water, all the things that go into actually mashing the the whiskey, creating the new make and then dumping it into the barrel. Well, then they're also paying for the people that are are going through these processes and they're actually creating the product, they're storing it, they're taking inventory, uh, maybe it's a small distillery that's got a little gift shop out front and they're trying to you know sell people on product that hasn't come out yet, but they do still have some that's been you know allocated or sourced or whatever. Uh, but then they also are paying taxes. And then they're paying not just taxes on their barrels, but property taxes and you know this this, that and the other. So when you look at these small craft distilleries, You're seeing bottles that are priced higher Mm -hmm. because the value behind it, quote unquote, in that case may be the fact that they have had more hands-on manual labor to actually create their own product. On the flip side of that, you've got a large distillery with a few thousand employees, right? It costs them just as much to produce two barrels of bourbon a day. But they're maybe doing it in smaller steps, or they may be doing it at a larger scale.
1: Or some of it may be automated and doesn't even need a person.
0: Exactly. So instead of somebody actually going and pulling the levers, they just punch in the code to the computer, and then everything's done for them. So while there is still value in the, the craft behind it. Uh, it's not necessarily the intrinsic value of these people put in the effort to create this product and they're not trying to stay afloat based on their mass marketed or mass produced whiskey. Yeah. So in, in some ways, especially in this instance, value becomes very divisive, not just at the consumer level, but at the producer level. And so I feel like value almost has no meaning until it gets to the consumer.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's also another thing that you're leaving out of the process, too. Bourbon, before it gets to you, is taxed, not even just the property, but itself four times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of states, and this is only in Kentucky that this is the case. In uh, other states, states that have what they call a three-party system, it's getting taxed in the barrel mm-hmm. per year. It's getting taxed um, at the distillery if they, you know, as soon as they sell it, it's getting taxed by the distributor, and it's getting taxed when it gets to you. So when you're actually buying it from the the liquor store, so it's been taxed and marked up uh, a significant amount of times. Um, And, you know, that that adds to the cost. And then another thing, there's a whole second part to this. Uh, You know, if I get a bottle of bourbon that's $60, it may be, uh, you know, a great value just based on the fact that I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, how much do I enjoy it? If I buy two bottles of bourbon... One sixty $60 and the other $60, and one of them is crap. I don't enjoy it. This is getting fed to my garbage disposal. And the other one's the best thing I've ever tasted. Well, all of a sudden, that value, again, up to the consumer, has become completely subjective. Yeah. I mean, it. I think you saying that it doesn't have any value until it gets to the consumer is perfectly correct. Because, I mean, it doesn't matter if someone, you know, took the time and... Made sure that they made the grains, that they processed it, that they put it through their small staff, and took the pride and you know all of this to do it. Or, you know, Wild Turkey dumped four thousand barrels today and put out X amount of bottles of whatever. And honestly, Jimmy Russell's only thing he had to do was go to the visitor center because it's Sunday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, those are two wildly different areas. But again, none of it matters until I pick up the bottle, decide the price is worth it. That's it. That's the only thing that's boiling down for value.
0: So, in in your mind and and this is something we can go back and forth about too. Is value solely on enjoyment or is it something that you have to kind of check and balance with other factors? I think it's based on
1: just pure enjoyment and want. So yeah. I mean there's bottles that I'm sure that both of us have bought with no intention of opening anytime soon but I wanted it. It was the yeah. price I bought it was worth it to me. It was a value that I was willing to take. I mean I think it's just boiled down to pure enjoyment of the product and how much I want it. That's it. I mean you've even heard people say it's the 20 extra dollar I really wanted it price, you know. Yeah. I mean that's that's fine.
0: The finder's fee. The finder's fee. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're paying it back to yourself exactly. or to yourself in general.
1: I mean, uh, those are just that. That's where value kind of, I don't know, gets weird. It's pretty much up to the consumer at that point. No matter how much backstory it's had or justification and price it's had up to right. that point. It's it's a strange thing, and I mean that's the thing that sucks too is like. I feel like Heaven Hill has set a really good standard with a lot of their products, as far as just value. I mean, you look Old Fitzgerald. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but I feel like they are right on the money as far as putting out a specialty product. If you are paying more than ten dollars per year, it's hard for me to justify the price. Yeah. But even then, that's such a you know like rigid system. Like take Peerless for example. I mean, they're putting out a two-year bourbon, but if you followed that system of ten dollars per year. That'd be a twenty dollar, you know, whiskey. That's not yeah where that needs to be. So even at like setting a very straight, like straight price point for each one, it, it's it's hard. It gets really strange in the value perspective to the consumer.
0: And I I think that this is where the conversation about how subjective value is comes into play. Mm-hmm. So take the the secondary market for example you can get anything on secondary yeah literally anything you can get dusty bottles you can get bottles that your your great grandfather was drinking during World War 1 you can find the the most recent masters keep that came out 2 weeks ago 3 weeks ago whatever you can find, you know, something that you never thought you would ever get on the shelf, whether it's a, a a quarterly release or a yearly release or or something like that. It is all out there. But the difference is you wind up getting the quarterly releases at what they are valued at in terms of the public eye. Mm-hmm. You're getting these older bottles based on What the the prices have been up until that point, that winds up changing all the time. Wild Turkey is a really good example of that recently, too. Up until about a year ago, you could find stuff from the early 90s for $200 at, at most. Yeah, uh, for from Wild Turkey and towards the end of last year, it jumped up the $375 to three seventy five to four hundred dollars.
1: Yeah, you find a cheesy gold foil in good condition with a good fill level and they're like, mm, give me four fifty.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it, it's all consumer driven. And even then, once you get past the initial consumer, the primary consumer, which is the person who went into the store, got it firsthand. What it's it's the wild west. Laws, (laughs) rules have no meaning. It just becomes either well, here's what I I am willing to sell it for, or here's what I'm willing to pay for it. And the crossover between those two is bizarre to me as well. Yeah, because then you have people saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that." Weller Antique is up to this price on secondary, and that comes from somebody saying, well, I saw a guy selling it on whatever website for this price, so I figured I would sell it for that price too. And then it just becomes hive mind accepted. And you're going, what are you people doing? Mm -hmm. It's a very strange system, not just on the secondary level, but I think even on primary. It
1: is, yeah, because like at least in Kentucky... Liquor store owners very, very frequently get in a bottle, and they're like, well, I'm not going to see this ever again. Let me just triple the price. Why yeah. not? Somebody will pay for it, and if they don't, it'll sit on the shelf for a while, and then I'll just take it down to double.
0: And, and there seems like there is kind of this subculture of trying to appropriate prices or value on the Internet as well. It's not just limited to Facebook or to you know, shady secondhand websites or third hand websites or whatever. I mean, th- this is more commonly visited websites, respected websites in some regards. For example, Forbes. They've got an article called Eight Exceptional Bourbon Values That You Have Probably Never Heard Of. So what do you what do you think the first one is on this list? I don't know. Knob Creek. Henry McKenna. Yeah, but it's the bottled and bond. I feel like that's something that, that people have heard of. But this is also I don't I don't know. I Is Henry McKenna still the same value bourbon that it used to be?
1: I think it's good for its current price point, which is usually hovering around 40, 45, even though we used to get it for like, what, 27. yeah. I mean, I still think it's worth it. I think so too. The value is there for what I'm getting. I I don't know. It's such a strange thing. It's I mean, I, in in all you know, in all seriousness, I should just say bourbon is worth what you're willing to pay for it, and I should be fine with it. But the second I walk into a store and Weller Antiques $150, I'm gonna be <laughs> upset. And, I mean, it's just. I, I, there's nothing in my head that's going to be able to say, eh, it's worth what people are willing to pay for it. And then we walk into a store and see an outrageous price and be okay with it. it it's just strange.
0: So where do you find the line drawn between that's fine if you want to pay for it, but I'm not going to pay for it?
1: Uh, I mean, honestly, it's fine if a store owner wants to mark it up, if somebody wants to sell it on secondary for an outrageous price. Again, I'm not going to pay for it. It's still not going to stop me from being a little upset when I'm like, I'd really like another bottle of Weller Antique. Finally finding one and it being $50 more than I'm willing to pay. Um, I don't know. It's, it's strange. I, I think the only thing I get upset with is seeing stores that have notoriously been, we're not going to mark it up. We're going to get it in. It's going to be first come, first serve. We're going to do our best to make sure everyone gets stuff fairly. Going to place a limit on how many yeah. you can get. And then you turn around and and get something that's marked up, and you're like, well, what happened? Where was that? Like, we're going to give it out to, you know, what we, you know, we're going to be fair with it. Where'd that mentality go? There's just a little bit of greed that comes with it. I mean, and not to knock them, we actually have two things today we're going to be reviewing from the same store, but we went to Total Wine uh, for the first release. I ended up getting a bottle, went in, it was like right at MSRP. Mm-hmm. Like maybe five dollars more, and I was super happy with it. Went the year later, ended up winning again uh, at this lottery, and it was forty dollars over MSRP. I mean, I watched Stag Senior, like the big b release, Daddy go from <laughs> ninety-nine ninety-nine, which is roughly where it should be, yeah, uh, to a hundred and you know thirty-nine ninety-nine. It's like, well, what happened? That's that's a little upsetting. Uh, but again, yeah. it's a private business. They can do what they want. And if it's worth people waiting in line, they're going to pay for it. It's it's a value as long as they see it as a value, I guess.
0: Well, let's um take a small break, I guess, from the conversation. Go ahead and get these poured up so that we can start to do this kind of comparison and talk more about what, it's, what the idea behind value might be in this specific instance. So what we have is two single barrel picks from Total Wine here in Lexington. One is a Knob Creek 15 year pick or almost 15 years if I'm Yeah, it right. was uh barrel date
1: was 921 2005 uh barrel selected was 32520.
0: Okay. So almost 15 years. Yeah. But the other one is an MB Roland bourbon. As well. Uh, It is 111.8 proof. And if I am correct, non-age stated?
1: Yeah, so I did some research. It seems like a lot of them are right at that two-year mark.
0: So one of the reasons that we chose this option, too, was because these were the exact same price.
1: Yeah, they were within like $2 of each other.
0: Yeah. So basically about 55 bucks a piece. So the question here was not just what is the better value, but also is the value itself inherent in these products? I am, I am interested. I am excited to do this. I'm really looking forward to what this is going to turn into.
1: Yeah. I I think this is really going to pinpoint what we've been talking about that, you know, it's going to come down to is this product worth it to me at this price, which is great because it's going to come down to the consumer in this case instead of just well they did have the X amount of workers they did have X amount of this, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting.
0: So I, I want to touch on uh, this from the LA Whiskey Society at LAWhiskeySociety.com. I uh, they have a whole page about determining value of vintage liquor and their second bullet point in article one uh, is how is the value of rare whiskey determined so this is coming right from there right from their page it says we look for comps of recent sales of the same or comparable uh, bottles and balance that against what a seller actually profits in those scenarios this involves auction results, retail sales, private sales, the current state of the market, private collectors' opinions, each bottle's individual condition, and other factors. Sellers should understand that with any collectible, value can be different than price. At retail, the price a dealer asks or excuse me, at retail the price a dealer is asking might be $1000, but at auctions, collector, collectors might only be paying $600. From that $600, the seller might go home with less than $400 after deducting fees and expenses. So value can sometimes mean what an owner can actually sell a collectible for, and price is what an auction result might be or what a dealer retailer might ask. Recognize that in the U.S., it's often hard for sellers to net the full price. Auction sellers have large commissions to pay, and private collectors negotiate with this knowledge. Also keep in mind that the U.S. secondary whiskey market is small and constantly fluctuating, so values are hard to say with certainty. Any estimate is just an educated guess. That was a lot of words to say.
1: It's just going to change, and there's not much you can do about it. Exactly.
0: I mean, that's... It's people saying, we don't know, you don't know, so we're just going to take our best guess, and if it's wrong, sorry about you.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first part of that kind of just led to... It's just a lot of averages. You just look like, oh well, weller, you know, special reserve is going for fifty to seventy, so I'm gonna charge sixty, and that's probably a fair price slash
0: value. I don't know. I mean, that's not a bad way to go about it. It's not, but it's also potentially very frustrating. I mean, there there is definitely that that chance for things to blow up in your face. Yeah. I mean, if you are really truly truly looking at what you are gaining from it, what others are gaining from it, I mean, there's a chance that things just aren't going to work out in your favor. So, in, in it goes back to what I was saying, value is not determined until it actually reaches the consumer themselves for the first time. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's all nebulous. And so... Where I think everybody's getting tripped up about this is the issue with bookers. It's consistently been six to seven-year-old batches.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it has been at barrel strength, but it's steadily been climbing in price. It started at about 50 $55. It got hiked up to... 70, and now we're looking at an MSRP of of 90. Yeah. No, it's it's hard. I I think people are
1: also looking at the declining age and really pointing that out as a factor as to why it shouldn't have gone up in price. But that being said, Booker's had an off year last year. Despite that, they put out just solid product after solid product. It's hard to argue that it's not worth, you know, at least some sort of a price up from $55. I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm willing personally, I think to me, it's like a $75 bourbon. So if I find it on sale, yeah, I'm not upset with a $75 valuation personally, but there's also a lot of people like when I first started drinking, I was like, this is too peppery. It's nothing but spice. I can't handle it. It's not for me. So when I splurged and spent at the time, $65, it was not yeah. a value for me.
0: I remember that first bottle you got, too, and you were, like, choking it down trying to finish it.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> not it.
0: Now I would we would go back and, you know, actually analyze it and yep. have some thoughts. Blue Knights match. Yeah, that's right. 2017
1: It's first one I had.
0: Seems like forever ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that also, too, what people get concerned with, what they start talking about is the fact that this is... The same distillery, the same company that puts out a, a nine-year single barrel at 120 proof for half the price of a batch of Booker's. True. And, you know, a third of the, 30% more age. more age? I don't know. I'm not good with numbers. I like that they're staying
1: true to their (laughs) platform. They've had four large performers in their small batch collection for a long time now, and they're sticking with it. Instead of doing what some distilleries are doing, Buffalo Trace, where you put out brand new products that are really not that much different from your original ones, saying, oh, it's new, and then you can set the price point higher and get something else. I mean, their Weller line has just been putting out product after product, and you're like, how different is a single barrel at 90-whatever proof compared to the regular? It's just, I don't know. I'm glad that they're staying true to it. I think their products are personally worth it, one of which we're about to try right now.
0: Well, I actually wanted us to start with the MB Roland. Oh, okay. Let's do that. So I'm I'm sorry that we're... (laughs) We'll be trying in a minute. (laughs) But I wanted to give the younger product with less proof. A chance to, chance to express itself without actually being dominated by a, a product that is, you know, almost eight times its age. Yeah. Six times its age. And I, I don't think that's entirely fair. So, in, in this case, again, it's 111 proof, around two years old. Uh, it says it's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, so. At least two. Better be two years old. Yeah. It's very like peanut and corn heavy on the nose.
1: It is, but it also is giving me like a s'mores note.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can totally see that. Is it weird that I've feeling tomatoes on this one? <laughs> is that a throwback to the original listeners? <laughs> Again, the the lost tasting segment from way back when but i'm i'm it's a very earthy flavor or or nosing note yeah that i think is directly related to tomatoes now they tout being
1: uncut and unfiltered so this is uh
0: just like what we used to say the podcast was. yeah
1: still and still and barrel proof so it's 111.8 um Number four char, 78% white corn, 17% rye, 5% malt. I don't know. I'm interested.
0: It is sweet. It is very it is, sweet. It is corn forward. I think that the youth is showing through. I, I kind of like the finish a bit, though. I do kind of like the finish. It starts turning into like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup.
1: I'll be honest.
0: I am not disappointed in this
1: for a two-year bourbon. I'm not either. No.
0: Especially at cast strength.
1: At cast strength, yes. This still reminds me, though, of a little bit of the Dicklebot in a Bond.
0: I don't know if I'm quite getting that, but I can see where you're coming from. Just
1: the corniness.
0: Yeah. Just the corniness. I get that. I totally understand that.
1: But even then, the one I had was a 13-year.
0: Yeah. (laughs) 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 So that's the other thing, and that's what we're getting at with this, too. What does age contribute to value? And it goes back to the the analogy of or the allegory, whatever, of the small craft distillery. hmm So maybe they're putting out a six month old bourbon or eight or fourteen or or whatever. You know, it but it's at cast strength. They're not necessarily selling it at a loss, but they're they're providing something to the the consumer that really isn't available anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got, you know, a cast strength product from a larger producer at maybe the same price, maybe a little bit lower. True. So you you start at some point, I feel like, scratching your head and going, What's the real value here?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's strange, too. I was just thinking about this. We, you know, with this the show, we always have, like, a rating system for our main reviews. That yeah, we yeah, do. yeah. Our rating system is really not that bad as far as determining value. hmm Because the the price portion on our rating system is just an absolute swing vote half the time on, on whether or not this is a pickup. Yeah. Or not. Um and I I think that's good because you're taking into consideration nothing but taste, and then just is the price worth it?
0: In this case, though,
1: I don't know if this is a pickup for me. This is not. This is not a pick. Well, it was a pickup for me, but I don't know if this is a another go back and try it. Yeah. They do have a different one, and forgive me, it could be the incorrect, but it's like a dark char or something that they have, like a deeper char. I might I know be interested what you're talking about. in trying that. I've yeah. seen some people that enjoy that. I think a rye from them would be interesting as well if they've got one. They do. I might be more interested in that because rye tends to, you know, just show a little more with less age.
0: Yeah. I and I've not tried the rye either. I think honestly, this is only the second or third time that I've tried an MB rolling bourbon. Yeah, I will say the nose is probably my
1: favorite part of it.
0: Yeah, I think it's just. It's so difficult to really nail down what value means in bourbon. And it, it's I, I'm I'm not trying to reach this conclusion and, you know, waste everybody's time with a 30-minute conversation about value, but there are so many nebulous characteristics of what value in bourbon is that it almost becomes an individual's response or understanding or their own take on what, what value means to them. Yeah. But at the same time, value is very much established in terms of price by the producer.
1: Can I throw another variable in there just yeah, to absolutely. give you even more headache? Yeah. Comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we do this so much on the show. I uh, Again, I want to be that person that should just be, do I like the taste? Yes. Is that worth blank amount of dollars to me? Yes or no. That should be as simple as value is. But I catch myself, especially when Henry McKenna 10 was around, I'd be like, you know, we have a 10-year bourbon. It's $150. And I'm like, Henry McKenna 10 30 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I just... I throw Absolutely. that comparison out so fast. I'm quick to do that. You know, it's... I point out value in as a sense of like, well, this bourbon is better than this bourbon and it's less price.
0: Well, it's it's the... It's good, but conundrum. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, I've really tried to wean myself off of. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and... This week, finally, I've got an ISO session that I recorded a couple of weeks ago with Haley from Wilderness Trail. And we talked about the fact that they have a six-year-old weeded bourbon out right now. And she was talking about our how we kept saying, you know, it's it's good at four years, but... And then there were those people like us who said... But if it's this good at four years, why do we have to change it? Why do we have to do something that's older? I mean, yeah. shouldn't this be where where things kind of hover <laughs> with, with, with consistency? Yeah. And it's not to say that I'm not interested in, in finding out what the value of that is, what the, the quality of that is at an older age. But overall, I mean... I, I feel like I'm at the point where I don't keep going, it's good, but.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that quite a bit. I mean, I feel like that's part of the... So there's two sides to it. You get to play the devil's advocate card. It's like, it sucks as a consumer, like, or I mean, as a, as a person putting stuff out where you're just like, I've, you know, really gone... To great links to put out this six year I really pressed myself. I made sure that I was careful to put back stock to actually age it to six years. I'm really proud of my product. And Wilderness Case or Wilderness Trails case, they put it in a nice box. They made a big deal about it on their email chain about making sure you sign up for it and making it an mm-hmm. event, even during COVID. And people got it and I'm sure, I'm sure there was plenty of people that are like, Man, this is even better at six years. Wonder what it's like at eight. Well, of course. And as a person that puts stuff out, you're probably just like, just be happy with the six year, man. Do you know how much work this was for us? It, I I know that's frustrating, but also, I think it's also kind of a nice thing for them as well, because it's like, well, they're so excited about our six year, they want more from us. Yeah. It, it's just, it's completely in how you in, interpret it. I know I'm I'm one of those people that's like, oh, this is really good at two years of Roll rolling stuff. I wonder what it's like at four. I was that was literally about to come out of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's hard. You don't want to be that it's good, but person. But I I do want distilleries to kind of take it more as a. I'm excited about your product. I want to see it progress.
0: Yeah. And. We definitely I think at at one point or another we we'll gu- <laughs> we're guilty about that when we were talking about Hotel Tango
1: oh absolutely yeah
0: no I'm, I'm so sorry like we we definitely brought it up and they even
1: pointed it out in one of the live streams they're just like it was pretty good for a two-year bourbon no, like, no no
0: what they said was they couldn't believe how good it like that a two-year-old bourbon could taste that good yeah
1: i don't want you to take that in a negative light even though that uh, i mean we just are excited about your product and we what we're more saying
0: is in our experience yeah two-year-old bourbons don't have that quality they, yeah. they are not as high value as that one is. Yeah. I I would be pressed to find a two-year-old bourbon at that quality. Mm-hmm. Anywhere. Yeah, them and uh, anyway.
1: Peerless have really cornered the game. Absolutely. On a younger bourbon.
0: We should probably try this Knob Creek, too, don't you think?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yes, please.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a well-known best value bourbon. and I mean, I'm I'm excited. Ooh, this is real Rick House and Peanutty.
0: Dark berries. Mm-hmm. Definitely nutty. <laughs> Definitely <Chad>. nutty. <laughs> that is just classic through and through Jim Beam knob creek.
2: Oh.
1: That is good. That is the most lasting finish I've had on a knob creek in a while.
0: Oh my gosh! Makes you want to co- cozy up in front of a fireplace. That is that is a winter bourbon. <laughs> that reminds me of the. Uh, I haven't had this in forever. It's been so long since I finished this bottle, but it was called the Finale Bourbon. Mm-hmm. It was a Knob Creek pick from Ernie's here in town. Oh yeah, and they the the way they advertised it was: this is the last bourbon you're going to want to drink the night Mm -hmm. this is totally in that ballpark i mean if if you and i kind of do the same thing i start lower proof and work my way up if i want to have a couple of drinks you know i don't want to start out with a russell's reserve or or something i want to you know ease my way in with a buffalo trace and you know slowly go up elijah craig 101 then you know this that and the other this is the culmination of like the end of your nightly drinking.
1: Oh, yeah. This is the good night pour. Mm-hmm. This is the... Uh, this is good, man. That is so good. I think you're seeing, like, way opposite ends of the spectrum from the same price point. I think you're seeing a lot of what you mentioned earlier where it's like they've got a lot of overhead. They've got a lot of things to cover. They're putting out what they believe is the best product they can currently put out, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just personally... I don't feel like it's commanding that price that they're they have it at. Yeah, and it's not to say that eventually I won't want this for something, but nine times out of ten, I'm gonna have this Knob Creek pick before, for my last drink of the night over the MB Roland.
0: I agree. Yeah, and
1: the the value is leaning towards Knob Creek in this case,
0: and and also in this case, I think that we have to talk about what our palate leans towards oh absolutely and if if you lean towards a darker flavor profile something that has less edges to it than something that's slightly more unrefined because it is younger you know you are going to lean more towards the Snop creek so that's not to say that you don't have people who like something with a little bit more punch, a little bit more kick that this MB Roland might be offering. Mm-hmm. And I know people who who like the MB Roland as well. I'm not discrediting their their taste by any means. No, we didn't put them in a fair
1: fight. We're just showing opposite ends it of the was, spectrum.
0: Absolutely. And and I don't even know if I could put this up against the 2-year Hotel Tango. No. I don't think that's even fair. No. <laughs> to be to be quite honest, but it's It totally, I think, gets down to what do you value the most in your product. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. The consumer determines the value of your product. And yes, you do want to put some of your own introspection into it in terms of how you think it should be priced and what you think the market should be accepting it at. But at the same time, you've got to be self-aware. You've got to be cognizant of what it is you're putting out into the world. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's it's I'm not trying to fizzle out on this conversation by any means. I want to know what other people think about what value means in bourbon as well. You can send us an email to thismybourbonshop at gmail.com. You can drop us a line on social media, at pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you can also leave us a barrel ring at 859-428-8253 if you would like to uh, do it that way as well. We do have a barrel ring, actually, oh, coming up here in a minute. But for the most part, man, it, it's it is hard to pin it down. It is really difficult to pinpoint what it means for value in bourbon, but in this case, to me, it's subjective. It's based on your experience, and it's based on what you're willing to pay.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's people that have even devised systems like the buy bar pass thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just and and the guys at the podcast, I they definitely have. I feel like. And I say minimalist, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It's very straightforward. They simplified what
1: we just had of like a 30 minute conversation
0: on <laughs> yeah. into three words.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel like Kevin Malone from the office where he's like, Why well, say many words when few words <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that's perfect.
0: I've gotta I've gotta Nobody steal this. Nobody steal this. I'm gonna post it the day this comes out. I, I wanna do a meme of uh Kevin says, why drink many bourbon when few bourbon do trick? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's just, it's perfect. I think the Viper is great. We're a meme podcast
0: now, apparently.
1: Yes. <laughs> We've not said it slaps in a few episodes. We're making progress.
0: Yeah, I'm proud of us for that one. I'm also proud of the fact that I feel like I just want to keep drinking this Knop Creek. You are welcome
1: to pour you a couple of two-ounce samples of that for later
0: on. There's, there's gonna, it's going to have to happen. Dang it, that's the best knob creek pick that I've had from from Total Wine, too. Yeah. And it's one of the new labels. It's brand new. I know. They only had two bottles. I know. What's weird about this too is like they they consistently have nine-year-old picks. They have a lot
1: of nine-year-old picks. They have mm-hmm. like four today. And then they had two of these on the shelf spot where the knob creek's supposed to sit <laughs> and i was like cool that's a new label doesn't Oops. look like the rest
0: of them <laughs> grab that that's mine yeah that's for me hey uh as i was saying we do have a barrel rings for this week you can uh send us a voicemail at 859-428-8253 we will listen to your barrel rings voicemail swan's doing the standard of the show by blending the two uh the two pores together i'm gonna, I'm gonna do the same you got to so
1: man. On. I got to I'll know. give you a refill to Knob Creek if it didn't work out.
0: I'll be okay with that. What'd it do? What'd nothing. it do, Swan?
1: Nothing. There's nothing there now.
0: <laughs> it's very green. Just taste It just, tastes, it it's like just
1: a, smells like graham cracker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not bad. It's kind of a a uh, a uh, uh, Teddy Graham's. Totally Teddy Grahams on the nose. Who's mad at Teddy Grahams. <laughs> uh, as I was saying, we do have a barrel rings for this week's episode. This one comes from, I believe, Fred Gilbert. Uh, it's a bit of a long one. It's you guys, you guys, bear with us. I, I'm, ex- I'm excited for this. So uh, let's let's see what Fred had to say.
3: Hey there, Pear Bear, Swan, and Kurt. You know, Kurt, I, uh, I felt like you needed to be included in the pet name, animal name thing. And I, I tried, man. I, 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 I don't know. Um, the only thing that really came to mind as far as rhymes went was Kurdish. And, um, I think the last thing those people need is to be grouped in with animals. So, I uh, I did some looking around, and I don't I don't really think it's gonna stick. The, <laughs> the only thing, the best rhyme I could come up with was "Turdus," T-U-R-D-U-S. That is apparently. Uh thrush. Uh that's a bird. <laughs> so yeah. Like I said, I don't think that one's gonna stick. Maybe you guys can come up with something better. But I feel like Kurt really need to have, you know, we've got animal names for everybody. But Kurt, uh anyhow, the reason I originally wanted to call was because you guys were talking about Breckenridge on the last episode uh you had a sample of their high proof blend um and there was a a comment that i think came from the person who sent the sample specifying that it is actually all bourbon um not i hate to be that guy but um It it actually is not, unfortunately. So this, to make sure that, you know, you can include this in the episode with confidence and not have to worry about any repercussions, um, this is straight from the horse's mouth. I sat down and did a tasting with one of Breckenridge's ambassadors, uh, going through more or less their whole range of products and, uh... I noticed the peculiar wording of bourbon whiskey, a blend, on their bottles, and I inquired about it, and she told me straight up that they are cutting their whiskeys with grain neutral spirits, and if memory serves, they are trucking it in from Iowa, I believe, so yeah that is the regular bourbon the high proof blend even the reserve blends that they're doing for stores I believe um, so on and so forth I think all of the the regular like bourbons and whiskeys and so on uh, are are including the grain neutral spirits uh, yeah and
0: Oh, and he got cut off there at the end. (laughs) Man. It was a three-minute voicemail, so I'm not entirely surprised. But, Fred, thank you so much for calling into the show for Barrel Rings. So, we were definitely wrong then. Uh, It's not a...
1: a Still not bad
0: for the pennies over cost shelf. I really didn't mind it that much. I'll take it. I really was pretty surprised with... How that product turned out. I remember Chad getting uh,
1: a bottle of it from some sort of like competition or like New Orleans Bourbon Festival, I think it was. And it was like a specific to the festival pick. It was actually pretty good. It was really good. Yeah.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with Breckenridge.
1: Not mad at all. Cut it with whatever you want to as long as it tastes good.
0: I'm also not mad about this blend that we did either.
1: No, it's not bad at all.
0: I think the Knob Creek is like...
1: Oh, it's overpowered.
0: (laughs) Way overpowered it. Yeah, But it's kind of taken it down to what I think is more accessible with Mm -hmm. Knob Creek picks. I think that it's kind of tamed those uh, more full-bodied notes, which is not a bad thing, but it's also, you know, people don't always want things to smack them in the face and... Call him Sally. No, but,
1: <laughs> tastes like caramel corn now. Yeah, I'm it not definitely mad does. At that.
0: It definitely does. I, I like. I don't. I really don't mind it. No, I like it. Do I still want more Knob Creek by itself? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. We we might have to do that on the uh, the post game last call.
1: Um, I'm here chats. for it. I got a ride tonight. We can go.
0: I'll pull something out of the cabinet too. Sweet. We'll find out what that is. But before we do that, we've got tips and bits, man. Tips and bits. Yes, we do. Oh, what tips and or bits do you have for this week?
1: Let's see. I've not been doing much, honestly. I watched... uh, (laughs) I don't do anything, Perry. I just just go to the pond, hang out, chase some children around. It's fine.
0: You're becoming more of a goose than a swan, swan.
1: Yeah. No, I just... So I've I've been watching... uh, It's called The Business of Drugs. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's like a six-part series where they break down like the full economic, uh, you know, system behind drugs. Like they they go down as far as like they go. To, it's crazy. They actually like interview uh, drug dealers and people in the drug trade. So at one point oh, they man. like go to Mexico. They talk to some dude that's got his voice changed, a mask on, and he's just making heroin. Man, oh he's just going for it. And they just they just talk to them super casually, and sure. uh, they they break down prescription drugs, uh, you know, marijuana, all sorts of different things. And it's it's super interesting just to learn that there's a legitimate business side to all of this stuff, and yeah. how it's just hard to stop. I mean, I guess if you if you're not getting regulated by the SEC and all this other <laughs> stuff, you're just like, eh, we'll just off a few workers. Don't really need this guy anymore. See ya. But it, it, I don't know. It's worth watching. I think uh, it's just crazy to the, the span that they they go to to keep it running.
0: Yeah, I've really been in the mood, and I've never been this way before, to watch a documentary. Yeah, and not like a not like a fun kind of like bubbly deal oh, where it's almost like stuff. It, yeah. Like not like a reality series documentary kind of deal. Like I would really have been wanting to watch documentary recently. So that's something that I might, I might have to get into. It's been a long time since I've watched a, a good documentary series. I think the last one that I really remember, and I've talked about it on the show before, was Unplanned America. Mm -hmm. The three uh, Australian guys who just had no plan going into an American trip. And it turned into like three seasons, I think. And they were going through some of the less the lesser known areas or lesser known destinations uh, in the country. And just being very candid with the people there or those who, you know, owned spaces or whatever. I, I love unplanned America. So it's nothing wrong with <laughs> that's that. That's a, that's kind of a throwback tips or bits, but I'll, I'll recommend, I think, I'm not entirely sold on it yet, but our the it's so I'm not I'm totally just not sure about it yet. As you all know, I've been playing my Switch a lot more, but the newest Paper Mario, the Origami King, mm. I just don't know about it yet. Like I can't make up my mind whether or not I like it. Like there's parts of the story that are entertaining but the combat system sucks <laughs> like it's no it's not a good RPG fighting game by any means and like, like the older but the older ones were so good they were so much fun and like they they had something really unique to them and you know you you felt like there was some evolving strategy, but this is all like the exact same thing over and over again.
1: Nintendo's thing has always been reviving old games and changing them slightly. Yeah. Or just reviving old games entirely. <laughs> so the one game that I'm calling you out Nintendo, I want it. Mario Sunshine. Oh man. On could you imagine if they did Mario Sunshine on the
0: Switch? I would love a sequel or a remake of Mario Sunshine.
1: Just a complete remake. It doesn't even have to be a remake. Just port the thing. You can leave the graphics. Yeah, absolutely. i have a great time.
0: That's been my biggest issue, I think, with the Switch so far, is that they don't have a good virtual console. Mm -hmm. They've got the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, and the SNES, but we've had so many consoles that have had those. I mean the Switch is more than powerful enough to have GameCube ports or N64 ports. Mm. I mean, I my I think my all-time favorite game is Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Oh, solid, very solid. And I would love to be able to play that on the Switch. Mhm. But I just <laughs> I can't. They don't they don't have a good emulator for it. And yeah, you can play it on the 3DS, but even still, I, I mean, it would just be nice to like have it right there mm-hmm. on your Switch. I don't want to have to keep switching consoles all the time. Also, like a GameCube or a, a Game Boy port would be great. A Game Boy emulator. What are they doing?
1: I don't know. <laughs> like Nintendo's done this with every single console. They, they realize it's going to have about a three to four year lifespan, maybe five years if they're at best, because they like to put a lot more consoles than Xbox and PlayStation. And then they make you buy the same game on every single console because you're like, ah, oh, nostalgia. And then you, you buy it on the next and one the and thing. the next one.
0: How how many times have we bought Super Mario Bros.? Plenty of times. Seriously. Yeah. Like, it and it's not to say that it's not a classic and I don't enjoy playing it all the time no I, the mentality every time it
1: comes to a new system is just like ah nintendo why'd you do this to me and you're like i already bought it I already, i'm already playing it i'm playing it right now like you, you just you suck it up and you buy it every single time it's, oh yeah
0: yeah I, I i get over it very quickly
3: yeah you're just like
1: i don't really want to play that and then you catch yourself like Nothing's on Netflix. Nothing's on Hulu. You know this subscription I didn't can't I didn't pay for this month, and then you're just like, I could just go buy Mario <laughs> again.
0: But I will say, I do love the replayability of it. I love the nostalgia. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and and it's there's something about the not having to think about it. You can just kind of chuck it on, and you know, you just want something to round out the night, and helps you helps you go to sleep i guess yeah <laughs> fall back into some monotony speaking of monotony but i don't have a segue for that no this is the <laughs> this is the first episode uh, or the end of the first episode that uh, we have been able to record in person since the pandemic hit and i am so thankful not only for you guys listening but for swan being able to come back over and hang out for a little bit and uh feels like things are starting to get back to normal now yeah at least for for us in this space but uh we thank you all so much for listening to the show not only this week but every week and uh we would love for you to follow up with us on social media swan where can people do that for you
2: i'm
1: on facebook and instagram at my bourbon finder that's it that's, that's it. I don't yeah. have much going on, guys.
0: <laughs> I am at Pete Ritter 1492 on all social media channels. You can also follow the show at my Ribbon Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also leave us a five-star rating or review on the iTunes Podcast app, and we will actually read it out for you here on air. And not only that, but it is a great way for the show to actually reach new listeners. Shows up in the search function on the podcast app. Uh, or any podcast app that you listen to, regardless of whether or not it's on Apple. And we do have a review this week for us to read out. This comes from LCA Eagles 70 The title is, The Perfect Show for Bourbon Lovers. Five stars. Whether you have been a longtime bourbon connoisseur or are new to the game, the crew at This is My Bourbon Podcast will deepen your passion for our drink of choice and point you in the direction of some delicious selections. Cheers, y'all. Thank you so much, LCA Eagle 70 for reaching out and leaving us a nice little review here on the the, the podcast app. We really appreciate it. You can also reach us at uh, this is my shop at gmail.com where you can leave questions, comments, whatever you, you may like to do. You can leave us a voicemail at 859-428-8253 for our barrel ring segment, uh, which we just had a great voicemail. That uh, unfortunately got cut off at the very end because Fred uh, Fred went off on a tangent. But that's okay. That's okay. We're still happy to hear from anybody who wants to call into the show. And uh, I'll throw this out here, too. Anybody who uh, would like to respond, if you feel like you have a, a good underrated value bourbon or maybe your favorite value bourbon, let us know. Drop us a line, 859-428-8253, and we'll listen to it on the show, talk about it, and uh, that would be really nice. You can find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com, and you can also become a part of our Facebook group at facebook.com. You just search for This is My Bourbon Group. Uh, It is open to the public. You just have to answer a few questions, and we will make sure that you get in there and become a part of our little community, which is a lot of fun. That's where we ask all of our questions for the pregame chats where we get warmed up for each episode and then last but not least you can find all of our bonus content i guess <laughs> and become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can keep the lights on here in the studio garage garage studio G- i don't know studio studio the goodio i don't know i hate that I'm not uh, a fan. <laughs> nope. for five dollars a month you get bonus uh episodes and content at ten dollars a month you get to be a part of a it's like a live stream thing i think i can't remember off the top of my head uh you can check out all the tiers and everything at patreon.com slash podcast thank you all so much for being patrons of the show every single month swan we should probably thank a patron of the show too don't you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think I did the last two weeks. What, what do
0: you got? Well, I think that we should shout out to Kyle Anderson uh, over on Patreon.com. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much, as always, for being a patron of the show. It means a lot to us. Uh, you can get a small little shout out like that, of course, uh, if you do become a patron of the show. And you can get all of our bonus content. We've got bonus episodes uh, going back into basically... 2017, 2018. Uh, got a couple of, they're going to be coming out here very soon as well. If you'd like to go and check all of that out. And, uh, we appreciate everybody as always for supporting the show. I think I've said that enough times, <laughs> which means it's time for us to wrap up the show next week. We've got trip from barrel craft spirits. And, uh, those of you on Patreon, you also have the finally first edition of the last call pre or post game chats rather. Which you can check out uh, the day after the main episode. Thank you all so much for listening to the show every week, as you always do. We'll see you next week. But until then, I'm Perry. And I'm Swan. And this is my bourbon podcast.